0: Matthew chapter 18. Let's turn there in our Bibles. If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers stand ready with Bibles available. Just raise your hand and they'll bring one to you that you can use throughout our service this morning. Reading Matthew 18. Please stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. will follow along with me as I read aloud Matthew 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. be thrown into the hell of fire see that you do not despise one of these little ones for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is, so it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother, but if he does not listen... Of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king May God give us understanding in the gospel, in this portion of scripture, in our text for our message today. As you remain standing, would you bow with me in a moment of prayer? Our choir will come after prayer for song and then the preaching of God's word today. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word today. Open our hearts, clear our minds, help us to rid ourselves of any distractions. So that we can focus on what you have to say and we can benefit from your word and your truth today. May it benefit our lives by calling us closer to you, drawing us to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What he has done, what he is doing and what he will do and how he has a call on our lives today. May we answer that call, surrendering to him. In obedience and a life of service to Him, we pray that You bless this service. Each one here, we thank You for bringing each one here today, and we pray, Lord, that You would um, bless this assembly, this church, this group of people who've come to serve You. May You uh, enable us to take Your Word out faithfully, that lives might be transformed. By repenting of their sin and trusting in Christ as their Lord and Savior, we pray this now in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. And Please be seated. Text in Matthew before us today is Matthew chapter eighteen. We recognize the context, the gospel. It's about the life of Christ and and what he came to do, and we follow him in his life. And what we've seen in Matthew is that he has presented himself. He has shown himself through the miracles that he has done. And we start to see this rejection of him and him responding to that rejection. We see that started off with the uh, imprisonment of John the Baptist, and then the death, the killing of John the Baptist, and then we see that in, in the uh, messages that Jesus spoke to them and their responses to that or their lack of responding to that. His miracles that he did that are very clearly done and evidence of who he is, and yet that is ignored, um, not by everyone, by, but by the, the leaders of the nation and the spiritual leaders Of the nation who guide and direct the people to follow them. Jesus, starting in chapter 16, begins to emphasize to his disciples what's going to happen to him. He says, He's going to go to Jerusalem. There he's going to be arrested, assaulted, he's going to be beaten, he's going to be killed, and he is going to rise again. He says that clearly to them. Remember in Matthew 16 when he first said that and Peter took him aside and says, No, Lord, this is not what's going to happen. Don't speak that way. And of course, Jesus rebuked him. He is preparing them for what he's going to do, his disciples. They don't quite understand why that fulfills the plan of God. But it is God's plan for his son to be put to death, to be crucified on the cross For the sins of all who would come to believe in him. He has also mentioned something else in chapter 16 for the first time. He said to Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this truth to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And he says, on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He begins to help his disciples and prepare them not only for his death and for his resurrection, but what that's going to mean. It's going to mean the birth of the church. The new believers who are trusting in Christ, who have been given the mission to take this gospel everywhere. The disciples are the foundation of that. He begins to share with the disciples what that is going to be like. So he's preparing them for the near future and also for the kingdom. He speaks of both of those truths as he equips his disciples um, for what's going to happen. He wants us to be equipped for those same things. So here we are in chapter 18, and the first question that comes up is, Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? That's what the disciples want to know. They ask him this. Who's going to be great? He's been talking about this kingdom, preparing for this kingdom, but he's also been talking about his death. And they're like, well, who's next in line? Who's going to be the greatest? Jesus answers that question by bringing a child before them and says that, and I think this is key, in verse 3, he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children. Unless you turn and become like children. Turn has this idea of repentance. Turning from sin and turning to God. What does it mean to become like children? Well, he explains that in this passage. It is a a, a humility that... A child naturally has. You are to become like children. Verse 4, he says, whoever humbles himself like this child. But first, let me get to the first point. He says in verse 3, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom. You're talking about being greatest. You won't even get there, he says. You won't even be a part of it unless what? Unless there's Repentance. A turning from sin, a turning to God, and God is marking the way. Remember what he said, this is my beloved son, in chapter 17. Listen to him. Follow him. He's going to lay the path for your entrance into the kingdom by his blood. That's the only way you're going to get there. Repenting, turning from sin, embracing Christ humbly as a child. The child doesn't have to figure everything out to trust mama and daddy. They just trust, tomorrow morning when I wake up, I'm going to have something to eat and a place to stay. So much so, they don't even think about it. Don't even worry about it. It's an assumption that they always make based on who their parents are. He's saying, you are going to live in the assumption of, my, of trust in me that I provide because I've always have provided. I will continue to provide. I promise to provide. I have the ability to provide, and I carry that out. He says, it's that type of faith that you have to come in. And so what Jesus does, he, he, he gives them a, a contrast they're looking at the greatest. He shows them a child. They're li- looking at being exalted. He's showing them humbling themselves. They're looking at trusting in their own sense, and their own power. Remember the previous chapter where they said, why couldn't we do that? Because because of your little faith. And the little faith that you had was in yourself instead of in God's power and his doing. Then, then he begins to say something. And I think he, I, I don't think, I know, he wanted us to understand and instill in us. He takes the opportunity to, to answer their question, to challenge their thinking by bringing before them a child. But he doesn't just send a child away for that one object lesson. He has some other things that this child is going to teach them. He says in verse 5, Whoever receives such child One such child in my name receives me. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it will be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Why does he include this? He's letting us know of his protection and his love for those who are innocent, small, cannot help themselves, and are trusting in him for that protection. He said, don't you dare touch with, with, don't mess with my kids, is what he's saying. Don't mess with any of mine. If you do, it would have been better for you to, get, to, to hang a boulder, to strap yourself to a boulder and jump into the sea. He continues this thought. He doesn't stop it right there. In the next verse, the first word is woe. I like that word. Woe. Woe means a warning, like watch out. Woe. Watch out. It also means just this excitement and in awe of what is about to happen. Like, did you see that? Whoa. Woe to the world for temptation to sin. It's necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom temptation comes. He says, look, we are in a mess in this wicked world because so many things around us are temptations to us. So he's saying it's it's a woe to live in the kind of world we live in. Now, you know that. And it, 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 when I talk, I remember conversations with my parents and them saying these things to me, and now I'm saying it to my children and to my grandchildren. And it is a fact that things have gotten worse. There are more, there's more wickedness around us. There's more temptation around us. And the Bible said that that would happen. Things would grow worse and worse until Christ comes. So Christ is saying, whoa. Be warned. Watch out because of the wickedness in which we live. I said in an announcement of the vandalism that's been done to the church building. And Andy um, spoke afterwards that that's not the first time that this happened. It's happened to us. This is like the third time it happened. To the point where we can't even get insurance to cover that anymore. Now that's a woe. It's a wall, first of all, because of a wicked person who would stand, would climb the roof of a church building and do that and not think of any consequences from that. Not just from God, but from men. If I saw him do that, well, we won't get into that. What about neighbors who saw him do that? What about the police? The police station, the precinct is right down the street. You have no fear of anything to do that. But that's the that's the culture, that's the world that we live in. It's getting worse and worse. I remember being a kid and standing outside our church and certain people would walk, they would cross the street before they came to your church because they had a cigarette in their hand. They didn't want to walk past the church smoking. <laughs> Not so today. Why is that? Wickedness is abounding. Jesus says, Woe to this sin that is growing and festering all around us. But he says, A bigger woe. He's saying, Woe to us because we got to deal with it. Woe to those who are in this place where temptation is all around us. Woe to the world for temptation is sin. He says it's necessary that temptation comes. We live in a wicked world and temptation will always be there. So you're going to have to learn to deal with it. You're going to have to be strengthened in the Lord to resist the temptation as before you. You need to be linked together. That's what the church is about, linked together with brothers and sisters that will help you endure those kind of temptations. But he says even a bigger woe to the person who brings that foolishness, to the person who brings those kind of temptations, especially to our little ones. Woe to the one by whom temptations come. And to show you how serious this is, he says, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, chop it off. Cut it off. Now, people have asked me all the time, is this a literal passage? It's stronger than literal. Because he's showing you something physically to help you understand the spiritual truth. He says, If it was, in fact, your foot that causes you to sin, we know that's kind of a silly argument. Pastor, I couldn't help it. My foot was just dragging me into the bank, and my hand had a gun, and it made me, you know, just rob this bank. We we know how foolish that is. But the analogy is, if that was the case, you better get an axe and chop that foot off so it'll stop dragging you where you ought not to be. What is the practical point? Discipline in our lives. We should do everything necessary in the discipline means so that we stay clear of sin. And that's not how we live. That's not how the world lives. We try to stay as close to sin as we possibly can. And Jesus says no. Stay away from it. Do whatever you have to do to disconnect yourself. If you are tempted because you go in the mall, then don't go in the mall. Well, pastor, I work in the mall. Get a different job. Do whatever you got to do to disconnect yourself from that thing that tempts you. He says go to any means that you need to do that to enact the discipline that you need to do. So he says, if your eye causes you to sin, then pluck your eye out. Now we know it's not your eye that's the danger here. Because blind people can lust. They can live in lust Lust is an object of your imagination, of your mind that you are dwelling on. So he says, well, how are you going to do this? You need to recognize that there are certain triggers, there are certain things that for you cause you to want to go in the wrong direction. Recognize what those are and do something, even if it's drastic about them. Talk to men about dealing with pornography. That's the thing, I, I say it. We all deal with that to some degree. We all deal with the lust of our eyes. We see something, and in this case, it's a sexual manner that we, our thoughts, are going in the wrong direction. It's all around us. You can't go anywhere or watch anything, or listen to anything, without that being around. What are you going to do? You need to take drastic discipline measures so that that thing that trips you up doesn't have that opportunity. I've said to men, if it means getting rid of the internet at your house, then get rid of the internet. Oh, but pastor, you don't understand. I got, do you really? No, you don't. You know how I know? (laughs) I lived before cell phones were here, and we survived. I lived before computers were in every desk, and we survived. The point is, maybe you need a job that relies less on those things that draw you into temptation. And maybe you need to set yourself. Have you done what you need to do discipline-wise to keep yourself serving the Lord? The one thing that you do, you did just this morning. You woke up and you came to church. Because where you are, it's something about being a human being. You know what it is? You can't be at two places at one time. So if you're here, you can't be there. Amen. If you get out of bed on Sunday morning and go to church, you can't be in bed thinking the wrong thoughts, preparing to do the wrong thing. I asked for, well, how come you ain't here on Wednesday? Uh, 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 I never thought of that. <laughs> do what you have to do to be right with God. Amen. Even things that you think may seem extreme. And then notice what he talks about in here. He mentions a couple of times the existence of a real hell. That's part of the gospel. What he says, look, it is better, in verse 8, it is better for you to enter life crippled or lame with two hands, or excuse me, than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. Then he says at the end of verse 9, it is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. He's saying it's better to limp into the kingdom than to run to hell. (laughs) That's what he's saying. You're better off putting yourself under extreme restrictions in this life so that you can be present in the next. He's not saying that discipline will earn you a way into heaven. He's not saying that. But what he's saying is the kingdom life is a disciplined life. And it's disciplined, it's, it's what we submit to, is voluntarily disciplined We do it because we want to serve the Lord. Reminds me in high school my sophomore year. I was on the varsity football team. And and at that year, the coach came to me and said, look, Brian, you're going to be my quarterback next year. I said, whoa, (laughs) I'm going to get ready. (laughs) I'm spending the rest of this year and all of summer preparing for that. I'm practicing, I'm disciplining myself because I want to be there. It's not somebody making me. This is what I desire to be, to, 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 to put myself through whatever rigors that I need to go through so that I can be well prepared for that task that's up ahead. It's a discipline. He continues on. In the parable, what we call the parable of the lost sheep, verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. He continues to talk about these little ones. And he says this. It's amazing to me. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father. He just dropped a bomb. He says that God is protecting his little ones, he has an angel assigned to them and they answer to him and he's he's watching over them in that way. Their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. That condemns a lot of what's going on in our society today and a lot that has gone on in the past. Children are being abducted and brought into a lifestyle of slavery, in the sex world, and in every other world that you can imagine is happening right around us, right in our country. We think of those things while we well, yeah, that's happened somewhere in South America, that's happening somewhere in Africa, that's happened somewhere in, in the jungles in, in Southeast Asia. It's happening in Milwaukee. It's happening right around us. God is taking notice and he's saying look woe to the temptations that draw people to the sexual deviant behavior but woe to the people who act on that and put in danger my children you know I thought about it as a father how I would ever address a person who had abused one of my loved ones. And and, and I can tell you, I would be a Christian and act out the fury of God. Those things are consistent. Those things are consistent. God says to me, he says in his word, watch out for anybody that does these things to my little He says, I'm going to take care of them. That's the only thing (laughs) that would temper my physical response in that situation, knowing that God has an even greater response and greater power to do something in that regard. And then Jesus tells this parable. He says, what do you think? A man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray. We often thought about this lost sheep in a whole different category, but listen to the way Jesus is, 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 is framing this story. It's in the frame, it's, it's, it's in the context of somebody despising the little ones, mistreating our children. He says, what do you think? If I got a hundred sheep, a hundred children, and one of them is left unprotected. Do you think I'm going to go and lead the 99? Yes, I am. And I'm going to get that very one who's in danger. God is showing his extreme concern and love for every one of his. He said, don't you, don't you uh, doubt about this. I'm going to care for all of you. You know what? People today say, well, you know, this one nobody cares about. I can take advantage of this. God says, oh, no. Mm -mm." You wonder why there's this, even in jail, there's a standard that if you have abused little ones, even even a person with a criminal history knows, "Uh uh-uh, we don't do that. We don't play with that. Where did that come from? Where did that come from? It came because we're made in the image of God. And there are certain things that God has instilled in us, even if we are wicked in other ways. There are things that He's instilled in us that you just don't do. And we're now living in a culture where those things are being done. And now we live in a culture with this transgender issue where people are trying to legally do these kind of wicked things. They need to know God is not standing by idle. He cares about his little ones. He cares about them. That should be a tremendous woe to anybody who had any thought of that. But you know what? Our culture is so torn in sin. You, you, you can read a just almost too regularly of how police will, 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 will operate a sting and people fall so easily into it because they just can't help themselves. It's so wicked. It's like the bait is out there and I got to get it. Really. That's how wicked the world is that we live in it. And God says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And he finds it, if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. And then right after that it says this, so, it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. In other words, he's not looking the other way. He's not ignoring this. I think this should be read as sentencing hearings. When we talk about having mercy on people who have done these things instead of justice as they ought to get heavenly father is not looking the other way. He's not turning his face as if it didn't happen and say, oh, well, you know, I still got 99. No. He will go out for that one, to protect that one. That's what he's doing. I think he's teaching us how to think about and how to deal with sin. The things that's happening today don't surprise God. May surprise us because we have this foolish notion that men, women, human beings are good. Instead of what the Bible says, no, we are evil. We are wicked. We are sinful. So much so that God has condemned every one of us. You know that? God has condemned every one of us and yet god is so good and so gracious that he's made a way for wicked sinful people who deserve condemnation and eternity in hell he's made a way for us to be forgiven of our sin because he's gracious doesn't mean he's changed his attitude about sin heard somebody the other day i was teaching i was preaching He said, you're you're going to preach fire and brimstone? Of course. Absolutely. Because you don't understand faith, you don't understand grace, you don't understand God's love without also understanding the, the attitude that he has towards sin. Hell is going to be full of sinners for whom God will not save. He will punish eternally. You got a problem with that? You got to talk to God. He ain't changing it. He wants us to understand how repugnant sin is in his thought, in his mind. And when he sees it in our lives, how ugly and distasteful that is to him. He goes in this next passage, and I think these two go together, and I want to kind of take them together. Verse 15 through 20 and verse 21 through 35. But verse 15 through 20 talks about how to deal with sin within the church i think jesus is speaking to the church i think he is preparing his disciples for how to deal with the church community dealing with itself and dealing with sin how to correct sin in our midst too many churches have had this thought of you know well you just you just gotta uh, um you gotta be more gracious to sin No, you have to deal with sin in a way that God has stated that it should be dealt with. And I think we see that here in in, Matthew uh, 15 through 20. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. In heaven, And again, I say to you, if two, or, or if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my heavenly father. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. So he tells us and he lays out a step by step process for how we ought to deal with sin amongst ourselves. He says, first of all, deal with it. Personally and privately. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Have a personal, private conversation to work this issue out. What are you doing in that personal, private conversation? You let this individual know that what they have done is a sin against God and they need to do something about it. You don't just sin and do nothing. He talks about Turning, repenting, turning from the sin and turning to God. How do we turn to sin? Listen, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. And how does he do that? He does that through his word. And guess what? How does he get his word out? Through his people. In other words, we speak to one another the truth of God's word to keep each other in line or in step in obedience to God. We live too much in in an area where, don't say nothing to me. Ain't none of your business what I do. Wait a minute. Jesus said to Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you got no part of me. You you won't be a part with me if there's not a cleansing process that you're going to go through. Then Peter said, well, then wash all of me. He said, no, I ain't got to wash all of you but your feet. Now you go and do what I've done. In other words, wash each other's feet. Cleanse in this cleansing process and interact with each other in a cleansing way. So that you're not just overlooking sin because God does not overlook sin. But how do you handle it? How do you deal with it? He says the first step. Go to that individual and tell him it's wrong. If he listens to you, it says you gained your brother. Listen implies that he's heard the wrong, and he's willing to turn from that wrong and return to God and to the fellowship of God's people. I want to turn to a verse in Proverbs chapter 18 that we were looking at on Wednesday. Proverbs 18, verse 1, it says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. What that means is people want to do their own thing. They stop coming to church. Or if they come into church, they stop genuine connecting. Leave me alone. Don't, don't, say, don't speak into my life. I'm isolating myself. The person who's doing that, is either on the verge or that itself is sin. He breaks out against all sound judgment. He doesn't want to hear. He doesn't want other people inputting into his life. Well, God says we ought to input into each other's lives. We get in each other's business that way, if you want to say it that way. But it's true. Being connected to this church means being connected. Somebody else is living With you, amongst you, in fellowship and interacting and communicating and checking. And you're checking them as well. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Praise God for that. It didn't say, come and tell the pastor. It says, you go and talk to him. You talk to her. You interact with them. And if they have a right response, hey, wow, things are good. The fellowship has done what it should do. What if he doesn't? If he doesn't listen, he says take one or two others. It brings about the principle of having a witness. In other words, the evidence there is, is, is given. Support is given. The evidence is shown so that it's not just hearsay. It's not just I thought it seemed like or that's what it appeared to me. No, you're checking out and you're getting the facts and you're saying, hey, here is what's going on. I've talked to this individual about this. This principle is actually what's enacted in our very laws today. That evidence must be presented before something is, 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 is dealt with as true. What happens if he doesn't listen to the two or three witnesses? This is one of the, the, the things that we talk about in our new membership class and we go through extensively, even more than I'm doing today. Uh, so that we might understand the process that God has for us, for discipleship, for interacting with each other. If he refuses to listen to them, it says, tell it to the church. In other words, the church has the responsibility to challenge, to encourage, to rebuke those who are dealing with sin or not dealing with it in a proper way. Tell it to them. Tell it to the leaders. And they are going to take those steps that have been outlined there. Talking with that individual. Challenging them. Rebuking them. Showing them the error of what they're doing. And that they need to turn from sin and turn to God. If he doesn't listen to the church, what do you do with him? It says treat him as a Gentile and as a tax collector. A Gentile... Remember the, the, the story Jesus had about the, 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 the woman uh, who was from a Gentile area, wasn't from Israel, and she said, uh, you know, I need you to come and, and, and heal my daughter. And he says, hey, it's not right for me to take the children's bread and, and, and give it to the dogs. And she's, she didn't have that kind of response like we would have, like, whoa. She said, no, no, but I, I get that. But even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall on the children's table she was very humble in in her response but the point is is that she was not privy she was she was disconnected as a gentile from the the rights and privileges that god's people the jews had now obviously what, what we see in god's word is god's design was for his people to go out and reach these groups so that they could actually be brought in to that privilege so they could see how good god is with his people israel and they could worship god as well we see that in the story of acts chapter 8 the the the, the um the uh um dignitary from ethiopia is coming all the way to jerusalem to worship and he was trying to read, trying to understand what is this thing the Jews are talking about. And as he was on that road, God had sent to him Philip to say, Hey, go and talk to him. He's reading the Bible, but he doesn't understand it. And he began to, 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 to read where he was reading from in Isaiah and explained to him. The man said, What is this talking about? Is this prophet talking about himself, or is he talking about somebody else? And it says, Philip stopped there at that very passage and preached to him Jesus. That's exactly what God wanted his people to do, is to live in such a way the world would say, wow, what is that? Who are you serving? Teach us more about God. And they would do that, and God would break out, and God would, God would begin to work in, in Gentile peoples and in, in among Gentiles. And that's what he's done now with the gospel. But he says, if a person refuses to be obedient, teach them like an outsider— who doesn't have the privilege of the fellowship that the insider has. And, 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 and even more so, treat him like a vile person. Treat him like a tax collector. A tax collector was somebody who was totally disrespected in the community because he was taking advantage of his own people. It would be today like us treating a child molester. We, we name them, we brand them, we put uh, uh, stars on the map saying, hey, one of them live over there. That's what we do today say so you know what he did 10 years ago yeah we still know mm-hmm. don't let him in your school if you do watch him check him out treat him like one who is despised and not respected and not a part of the group. kick him out kick him out we don't like that language but you you got an issue with jesus not me He spoke this word. He taught this to his disciples. He's saying this is how you do. Now notice when he's doing this, they've had every step for them to be confronted with sin, to turn from sin, repent and turn to God. And when they do that, that step is over. They're renewed. They're part of the fellowship. But if they don't, at every step, it goes higher and higher. And he says at the end, what you do, I I got your back in heaven. That's that's the basis of what he's saying in heaven. Truly at verse 18, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. I have people tell me, pastors, if we did at our church, we wouldn't have no members. You ain't got none now. You faking it. You're playing a game. You know, we deal differently with different people because, hey, maybe they got a nice business that would profit the church. Or maybe they have some talent or skill that we think we can't go without in the church. So, so we're going to overlook the mess. God says, no. Hold them to account for what I say in my truth, in my word. And when you do that, I will honor you. He didn't say you'd be rich. He didn't say your church would be full. But he said the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Right. You'll have the power that God intends for us to have to speak and to live His Word and be a model and example to those who are actually looking for that. Mm-hmm. Who want to see if God is real. If He's real, then His people ought to be real and they ought to be living the way God told them to live. Not perfect, but living the way, because we can't, we are perfect, but living the way that God wants us to live. So when I preach, this gospel that god has given us it challenges me to live this gospel to be an example of what i'm telling you to be and that's how it should be that's how it should be not living a double standard living in obedience to god you know what the world wants to see they want to know that god is real and the God's people can, in fact, live by God's power. So this whole word here is, is teaching us there are temptations that, that come into our lives that God wants us to resist and be disciplined against so that we don't fall into that sin. And he's saying, for those who, who sin in that way, I got something for them because I'm not going to play with those who mess with my babies. I'm not going to play with those who are harmful to my children. This is how I want you to keep yourself alert to my truths and obedient to my commands. Encourage each other and challenge each other and be a help to each other so that we don't fall into dangerous areas. So we we aren't taking sin lightly. Sin will destroy us. And Satan has no qualms about it. He wants to destroy. We are on guard against sin for each other, for each other's sake. And I won't be able to get today into that last part. I'll do that in two weeks when we come back. Next week, Elder Brian will be speaking. We have opportunity to, to hear him speak. I'm going to encourage you to come and be a part. I'm going to encourage you to come and be a part of our whole day. It starts at 930 with our sing and then following that, Elder Bryan will be the speaker in our morning service and then a meal together. You might ask, why do I do the meals together? Uh, we have made a practice of, of eating together because we want to actually fellowship and get to know each other. One of the first things we did is we got the meals together. It used to be, you know, like you say the prayer and everybody run for the, for the, for the uh, table and, and you know, it's, it, it's not literally this, but it felt like to me you, your elbows are thrown and people are jostling for position in line. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let, let's, let's wait. Kids all eat every day. We're like, oh, the kids got to eat for... No, they don't. They eat every day. Everybody eats every day. Nobody here is starving. If you are, you're in the right place and you're going to eat before you die. <laughs> so let's, in consideration, teach each other. Another thing I want to say is that, um, you know, I walk by and I, I tell kids, you don't need all that on your plate. You got three pieces of chicken, two pieces of pizza, some chips, some of this and some of that. You can't possibly eat all that. And so what it is, is it's, we're communing with each other. We're for real now, see? <laughs> we comes to eating now you get real for real. It's like, look, tell your mama to come up and, and, and fix your plate like it should be. One piece of chicken now. You can come back for another piece when you finish. Everybody here is going to eat. Need some of that. (laughs) Need some of that, don't you? We need some of that. It's just some basic common sense rule. The point is, is until we interact as family, we don't even see some of those areas. So God wants us to interact. So don't skip out next Sunday. (laughs) Come on in. Join the fellowship and the meal. As I mentioned, I'm going to reiterate, if you're not a member, you're welcome to come. You don't have to pay anything. We'll have enough food. Right, down, we're going to have enough food here. Okay, alright. We're going to have enough food for everybody. If you want to contribute, that's fine, but we're not asking you to do that. So that's what we have planned uh, for next week. I hope that you can come and be a part of it. I want to end today just saying this. Um, I know, um, uh, well, well, a couple of things I want to do. I want to call our leadership team up. We want to bring uh, two individuals who we've examined for membership. We actually have four candidates for membership. Two are ready to be accepted today, and those other two, we just have, we have to finish the application, and in one case, we have to have a baptism for for one, and so we'll do that. So I'm going to ask Samuel, Reshenta, would you come, um, and our leadership team to come forward too? These are two that have completed this process. Like I said, we have two others who are, are just about ready, um, and we'll, we'll be presenting them to you very, very soon. All right. We're gonna do a ladies first here, Shanta, Would you come forward? Front and center, come. Here we go, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> She's bashful, that's okay. Um, here's what we do at Sweet Communion. Uh, to become a member, you complete the new membership class, and uh, these, both of these have completed a new membership class. They have exhibited their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've met with them in that new membership class. And then after completing the membership application, uh, they've, been, they've had a review with two from our leadership team. And, and that is to, what well, they're checking to see if, if they have a genuine faith in the Lord Jesus. It's not a test. It's just, do, do you, have you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? That's something you understand and you've done for real it's not somebody forcing this on you and so with we're presenting them here to today that they have finished the new membership class they have been through the process with our leadership team to examine um, their salvation and they're coming to our church and now we present them to you those who are members will be voting just a minute by a voice a voice vote to receive these into membership. So, Rashanta is the first one we're going to present to you. We thank Amen. you for just willing to obey God. Amen. And uh, we've seen your uh, testimony in baptism last Sunday or Sunday before last, was it? Okay. Um, and so now we are presenting you. I'm presenting you with my approval to our leaders, and our leaders have examined you and told me you're okay. <laughs> But that's not all of it. Now they have to say the okay. All in favor of receiving Rashanta Reddick, is it? Reddit? Okay. Reddit into membership at Sweet Communion. All who are members, please respond by aye. Aye. Any opposed by nay? Quiet. That's what we want to hear. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Now you stay here. Stay here. We're going to give you the right hand of fellowship. Samuel, would you come forward? Samuel wonderful testimony. We've enjoyed just chatting with you um, in, in, in some of our casual times, as well as meeting you in the new, new membership class. We send your baptism testimony. Uh, praise God for that. Praise God. We are excited to, to have you come to be a part. Uh, he has been through new membership class, so again, with my approval, I've, I've given him to our leadership to examine They've examined him, and it's been a thumbs-up, right? We grilled him <laughs> <good. laughs> Now, they know him a little better because you have to understand, he's been part of the rescue mission, and so they, uh, they, they see him every day, and they get to talk to him. They meaning several on our, on our leadership team are actually part of the rescue mission. In fact, it's only the two elders that's not. <laughs> actually, it's only me, <laughs> only you that's not. <laughs> So, so we do present him to you with our approval, all in favor of of accepting Samuel Watkins as a member of Sweet Communion. Please respond by aye. Aye. Any opposed, by nay. And so, carry, brother. Praise God. Praise God. Let me be the first to shake both of your hands. And I'm going to ask our leadership team, if you guys would just stand right here, we're